0: The prophecy of Isaiah, the chapter 43, I want to draw your attention this morning to the verses 2 and 3 of that chapter. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Saviour. I give Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. During the reign of King Zedekiah, we find the forces of Babylon moving against the city of Jerusalem, cutting her off from the outside world. They gradually, over a period of two and a half years, starved her into submission, eventually burning her walls with fire. They carried her citizens away captive to the land of Babylon. And coming into this strange city, and knowing that their temple had been destroyed, their hearts, as you can imagine, were broken. Sitting down by the rivers of Babylon, they wept, and they wept bitterly. The tears flowing down their cheeks, the prophet Isaiah beholding their sorrow, he now foretold the bracking of their captivity. However, while prophesying their deliverance, he reminded them that it would not bring their sufferings to an end. They finally breaking free from the tyranny of Babylon, their path would then be beset by raging rivers of trials and tribulations. There being no bridges over them or tunnels beneath them, they would have to go down into them." However, while not making a way round these rivers, he prophesied that the, Lord, that the Lord would make a way through them. You see, while the Lord does not banish the trials of life, he does bulldoze a way through them. He makes a way through even the most raging rivers Indeed, the apostle Paul, seeking to reassure the Corinthian believers, he said in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, but he will with the temptation also make a way of escape. And why not taking away the temptations? Paul assured them that the Lord would make a way through them. While we don't know what trials and tribulations tomorrow will bring, we do know that the Lord will make a way through them. In every trouble, in every trial that comes our way, he always provides an escape hatch. The hymn writer, taking up the pen, wrote, "'Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you cannot tunnel through?' God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things that others cannot do. And while those trials in your life may feel like the River Jordan in uh, my flood, yet the Lord is able. He is able to make a way through those trials. He's able to make a way through those troubles that often come in and swamp the life he is able to make a way through. He won't take away the trials. He won't take away the troubles. But he will make a way through them. And so, I want simply this morning to draw your attention to these words of the Lord. I want you to notice firstly here that there is a path to be considered. Being redeemed, they became heirs of tribulation, passing out into the prairie of life he warned them that their path would be beset on every hand by swirling waters and by burning flames. But you notice here concerning these trials that they were progressive. He said in verse 2, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Notice here, it was not if— But when thou passest through the waters, having gone through the waters, he then said that they would go through the rivers and then through the flames. And there is in these words an increasing intensity. While the waters are dangerous, yet they do not possess the power and the swiftness of a river— while the river is able to seize its victim and able to carry him away, yet unlike the fire, it is unable to consume the body or cause the same excruciating pain. You see, having gone through the waters, they would then face greater trials, and then they would face even greater trials. You see, the trials of life are not only perpetual— but they are progressive. They, with every passing day, they become even stronger. You think this morning, even of Abraham and how Isaac being born, the dark clouds began to gather. Ishmael, who speaks to us of the flesh, began to mock him. And though Abraham eventually cast out Ishmael, or cast out the flesh, yet rather than finding rest, the Lord intervening, we read in Genesis 22, in the verse 2, and he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell The off, despite having gone through nine major trials. Yet the Lord now tells him to take the dagger and with his own hand to drive it into his son, his only son's beating heart. You see, the more Abraham went on with God, the more he cast off the flesh, the greater the trials and afflictions that came into his life. You see, the stronger the Christian becomes the stormier the seas that God sends him to seal in. Having overcome the waters, then there will be the rivers, and then there will be the fire. You ever go down to the coast? And the closer you come to the shore, the more numerous and the more dangerous the rocks and the waves become. And so it is in the Christian life, the closer you come to heaven, the more and the sharper the trials and the troubles of life come. Having overcome youthful lust, you then face in middle middle life the temptations of materialism. And then in older life, you face the fears, the fears of death itself. You see, the more you go on with God, the stronger the trials that come your way. Have you, child of God, overcome the waters? Then there will be the rivers. Have you overcome the rivers that have flooded into your life and almost swept you away? Then prepare yourself, because then there will be the fires. You see, it is not if but it is when, when thou passest through the waters, when thou passest through the rivers, when thou passest through the flames. You see, believer, our life in this world is one of trials. It is one of afflictions. How we need to prepare ourselves because those trials become greater with every passing day. Not only were they progressive, but you notice also here they were plentiful. Setting forth their path, he said in verse 2, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers. They shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. As we have already seen, this is not vain repetition. As water differs from the river, so the river differs from the fire. While the water seeks to pull its victim down, the river seeks to sweep him away. Carrying him in its raging torrents, the fire burns and it consumes the flesh. Each of them attack the body in very, very different ways. And as such, he was here reminding them that their trials would not always be the same they would veering. You see, Satan's devices are not only subtle, but they are several. He attacks from many different directions, and he uses many different devices. Indeed, James, taking up his pen and reminding the, the, the Jewish converts of this, he said in James 1 verse 2, "'My brethren, count it all joy,' When you fall into divers temptations, there were divers there, not only carries the thought of many, but also the thought of, of variegated. In other words, he was saying that their trials would come in many different shapes, shapes and sizes. You see, the trials of life are not only unavoidable, but they are unpredictable. They come in many, many different ways. During the 1982 Falkland War, the Royal Navy's 3,500-ton destroyer, HMS Sheffield, was sunk by a single missile. It was later discovered that the missile was picked up by radar and it was correctly identified as a French Exocet missile. However, the ship's computer had been programmed to ignore exocet missiles as being friendly. You see, if the devil cannot overcome you by your foes, he will then seek to overcome you by your so-called friends. Isn't it true how many Christians have been led astray not by the ungodly, but they have been led astray by another carnal or another foolish Christian. You see, the devil has many, many different devices. You need to guard not just one part, but you need to guard every part of your life. If he cannot overcome you by the eye gate, he will then seek to overcome you by the ear gate. If he cannot overcome you by that means— He will then seek to snare your foot. And believer, the devil has many different devices. We need to be on our guard. We need to be in watch because he will come when we least expect it. And often he will come with devices and from angles that we would never, never have thought possible. His devices are many. Not only were they plentiful, but you notice they were piercing. Although they were redeemed, he said in verse 2, When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. In ancient times, the fire was used not only to refine precious metals, but also to try or to reveal their true value. Indeed, Paul, lifting his pen and writing to the Corinthians, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in the verse 13, the fire shall try every man's work. And as such, in describing their trials here as fire, he was reminding them that while their trials would not burn them, they would try or they would reveal their true character. You see, the trials of life are sent not to destroy us, but rather they are sent to discover us. They are given to reveal the true character of our lives and of our neighbors. Indeed, Peter being told that one on the ranks would deny the Lord, he was outraged, declaring that he would rather die than deny his Lord, the storms then began to blow. And blowing with a greater and greater intensity across his life, we read in John 18, verse 25, they said, therefore unto him, art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not And the storm sweeping across his life, sweeping away the gold and sweeping away the glitter, it revealed his real character. He was, in fact, the denier. The trials of life are not only rigorous, but they're revealing. They reveal our real character. Going to wash your teeth at night, you take the top of the tube of toothpaste in squeezing that what happens, what is inside comes oozing out. And the times the Lord applies the pressure of trials and troubles and tribulations in our lives just to see what comes oozing out. You see, child of God, we're nothing more and we're nothing less than when we hit our thumb with a hammer. It reveals just how holy, or it reveals just how unholy we are. You say, why has God sent the storms? Why has God sent the rivers into my life? Why has he sent the flames? It's to reveal to you your character— it's to reveal to you your strengths, but more than that, it's to reveal to you your weaknesses, to expose the vulnerable parts that are even in your life. You see why the storms come. God is in control, God has a purpose in all that He allows to come our way. Not only do we notice that there is a path here to be considered, but you notice also that there is a presence here to be considered. They going forth, the sand beneath their feet suddenly became water, sinking down into the depths of despair. The Lord here promised to be with them, coming alongside of them. You notice here that he shielded them, The flames raging around him. He said in verse 2 When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. When a flame is newly kindled, it is small and it is weak. If you were to pass your finger through it, it would really do you no harm. Rather than burning you, it would merely singe or, or blacken your skin. And as such, in promising that the flames would not kindle or not take hold of them, he was promising them here that they would do them no real harm. They wouldn't even singe them. You see, in Christ, our souls are secure. The flames, though at times are very daunting, they are not destructive. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down before Nebuchadnezzar's image. They were arrested. They were taken to the fiery furnace, and before they were put in it, it was heated seven times hotter than normal. And we read in Daniel 3, and the princes, governors, and captains, and the kings, counselors, being gathered together, saw these men— Upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. And though the flames on this occasion were so hot that they slew those putting them into the furnace, they were unable to singe or even leave their smell upon these men's garments. You see, while the flames of our trials may be seven times hotter than the flames of the ungodly man's trials, they are powerless. They can do us no real harm. A skilled surgeon one day carrying out a delicate operation on an ear, he could see the patient's discomfort and the patient's fear— And seeking to calm the patient, he said, I may hurt you, but I will not injure you. And the trials of life, they may hurt you. They may cause you, like Elijah, and Job to cry out in the depths of of pain. But my friend, they will not, they cannot do you any real harm. God is using them. God is in control, and he's working them for your good. Those trials may sweep away your health. They may sweep away your wealth— But they cannot sweep away your spiritual wealth nor sweep away your spiritual health. And when the clouds gather and the flames begin to rage, remember, remember God is in control. And he's our Father. He's one who loves us. One who cares for us. He's like the surgeon. At times, those things may hurt, but they're for our good, our spiritual good, our eternal good. He not only shielded them, but you notice he shadowed them, the rivers of affliction bursting their banks. We read in verse 2, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. Hearing these words, their thoughts, no doubt, were carried back to their forefathers. They, entering into the waters of the Jordan, they not only carried with them the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the presence of God, but they placed it there in the midst of the river. And as the Lord had stood with their forefathers in the deepest, deepest parts of the flooding river, so he was now here promising that he would be with them. You see, God not only sees our trials, but he stands with us in our trials. He is there in the deepest parts of affliction. Indeed, Mary coming to the tomb, weary, heartbroken. Her world had just caved in around her. And we read in John 20 verse 14, and when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. And although she at first did not recognize the presence of the Lord, nevertheless, he was there. And he was there to comfort her and to encourage her. You see, the Lord not only sends his people, but he stands with his people. And more than that, he stays with his people. He is with them in the midst of the reflection. John Wesley, facing those cold waters of death, he lifted up his hands and, with great energy, he cried out the best of all God is with us. In child of God, at times you may not be aware of his presence. You may feel God has left you, God has forsaken you, but he's there. He's there. If only you, by faith, reach out your hand, you'll touch the nail-pierced hand. He's with us in our trials. He's in control of the furnace that burns. He not only shadowed them, but notice he sanctified them. Water and fire are not only destructive, but when placed in the right hands and applied they refine, and they cleanse. You see, the trials of life are sent not merely to prove us, but to improve us. They are sent to loosen or grasp upon this old sinful world and to sanctify us. And so, believer, when trials come, don't get angry with God. Embrace them. God has sent it for some reason. He's sent it so that you coming through will be stronger and drawn closer to him. Praise God when the trials come. He's with us. He's at the helm, and he's working all things for our eternal good. But not only the path and the presence, but I want you to notice lastly, there's a promise here to be considered. They being despised by the world— We find the Lord now here reassuring them of his love. Notice here that his love is paramount. Look at verse 3. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia, and Seba for thee. He was here referring back to their bondage in the land of Egypt. And freeing them, he not only sent the death angel to slay the firstborn in every Egyptian home— But he swallowed up the armies of Egypt and the waters of the Red Sea. When Ethiopia and Seba threatened them, he toppled them. And we find that for their sake, he wiped out entire nations. You see, Christ's love for his people is paramount. For their eternal good, if necessary, He will sacrifice entire nations. Many, many years ago, the Catholic kings of Europe gathered together. They decided, we'll get rid of these people of God. But just as their armies were about to march to destroy the Church of Christ, God sent confusion into the ranks, and they ended up fighting and destroying each other. Oh, believer, never forget today, you're precious. You're more precious to God than the nations of this world. If necessary, he would willingly, gladly sacrifice the nations of the world for your good and for your spiritual benefit. How great is the love of God towards us. Not only is love paramount, notice his love is possessive. He said, verse 1, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. Notice he had not only created, shaped, and redeemed them, but he had given to them his name. And by virtue of having created, comforted, conformed and called them, they were now his four times over. He said, Thou art mine. You see, Christ's love is possessive love. Having purchased us, he possesses us. We are his. Why has God given you another day? Why why has God given you another breath? it is so that you might give him your heart, that you might give him your life, that you might give him your time and your talents. We are his. We belong to him. Also notice his love is permanent. He said in that verse 4, Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable. I have loved they. You notice he puts it in the past tense, I have loved thee. In their past, they had not always been faithful. Yet despite the rebellion, he still loved them. You see, though you may have left your first love, God has not left his love for you. He still loves you this morning. Oh, surely, child of God, when we stop and we consider the depths of that love, we, we, we stop and we look back and we see his hand upon, upon our lives, shaping the rivers, shaping the flames, working them for our eternal good. Surely, we must fall at his feet. We must give ourselves afresh, even to him. Annie Johnson Flynn took up her pen, she wrote, When thou passest through the waters, deep the waves may be and cold, but Jehovah is our refuge, and his promise is our hold. For the Lord himself has said it, He, the faithful God and true, when thou comest to the waters, thou shalt not go down, but through. He doesn't take away the trial but he makes a way through them. Oh, when the trials come, don't panic. Rest. Trust in Christ. And my friend, he'll make a way through. And not only will he make a way through, but he'll bring you through stronger and brighter and better for him. What a God that we serve this morning. Let us rest and trust in him.